Hello? Hello? It's all around us. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to Project Archivist. This week, this show is a long show. This one comes in at about two hours. Like last week's show, it's long, and like next week's for the Halloween show, it will be long. I don't know if you guys like these longer episodes or not. If you don't, let me know. If you want me to break them up like I used to, where it'd be two one-hour episodes and have a part one and part two. If you want me to leave them together as a single episode and you guys just listen to them in whatever bite-sized portions you guys do, shoot me a message at projectarchivist at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or find me on the Facebook page or whatever and just let me know if, if you're cool with all this. I, you know, Plus, it'd be good to hear from some of you people again. Anyways, this week we have Jeannie Adams on the show. Jeannie Adams is an author. She writes a lot of fantasy and paranormal stuff, a lot of urban fantasy. She writes uh, paranormal romance, which I kind of chuckle about, but hey, she, that's what pays her bills, so whatever. Space adventure, space opera. She's been in Cosmopolitan magazine, but the main reason that she is on the show this week is because she does a lot of convention circuits and gives a lot of lectures and and pan and the primary thing that she covers is a lecture called Mauled Men, Drowned Dames, and Crispy Critters, a Body Disposal Primer for Writers. For a while, she ran a funeral home. So she comes on here to talk all about the process of embalming, uh, different kind of cases that they cover, different strange things that she's seen at funeral homes. She was also a manager or a secretary at a psychic establishment. At the same time, she was working at the funeral home. So pretty much we talk about the body, the dead bodies and what to do with them. We discuss moments on here. We discuss uh, freeze-drying bodies, um, the process of cremating somebody, what happens with the ashes, all of these things that are kind of around this topic. And we've been trying to pull this show off for a while. James Nettles comes back on and is my co-host on this one because he is actually the one that put me in touch with her because she is part of James's whole um, virtual online um, convention thing called Continual. If you haven't, haven't checked it out yet, please go do so. I believe James gives the address in this episode as well. Um, this episode, much like the next one, for whatever reason, my asthma is just driving me nuts and I'm having a hard time getting a lung full of air. No, it's not COVID. It's just seasonal asthma. It kicks my ass in the fall and in the spring. And this year it's really wrecking and hard on me. So if my voice quivers or does weird stuff, cut me a wee bit, little bit of slack because I was talking for a couple hours on here. So let's just uh, jump into the episode and I will see you guys at the other side. Here we go. Yeah. 
So, tonight we've got returning co-host and good friend of the show, James Nettles, and we've also got Jeannie Adams on here. This is a show that we've been trying to put together for over a year now, and Jeannie, um, you speak at a lot of conventions and things like that. You are an author and a writer, which are pretty much the same thing, but hey, I'm on cold meds right now, so I can be loopy and stupid. So... (laughs) Tell everybody what what you do, which is really really interesting. You you tell people how to get rid of the bodies, or or how how oh, just go ahead and explain it. <laughs> and welcome to Project Archivist. Finally, thank you, thank you. I've been looking forward to this so much. Um, well, I am an author, as you said. I write uh, urban fantasy space adventures with my friend Nancy Northcott. I write paranormal romance, and I write uh, romantic suspense. So I sort of run a a little bit of a strange gamut there. Um, But I spent 13 years in the funeral business so uh, and running, helping to run a family cemetery. So uh, there are such things. And so I also teach a class at conferences called drown uh, mauled men, drowned dames and crispy critters, a body disposal primer for writers. And mostly people just call it the body disposal class, but I teach it because there were three or four times really close proximity where I read a book where they got it so stinking wrong that it was just horrible. And one phone call to your local funeral director would have solved that. And of course that was, there were two traditionally published books and two independently published books. And I read them all in a row and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. How do people not know this? Well, it turns out a lot of people don't know a lot of stuff about the funeral business and about how you get rid of the body. (laughs) Well, getting rid of dead bodies isn't something the average individual would know, on, you know, in, in, in passing. So that that's not real surprising. So, yeah. <laughs> well, but writers are supposed to do a little research, you know, Ro. <laughs> Where does one go to learn how to dispose of a body? So That would be me, yes. I got to ask. Okay, do you have any experience with law enforcement in regards to this kind of stuff? Has law enforcement come to you? Have you gone to law enforcement? Have you gone through the class on how decomposition works where you go to the body garden and all that cool stuff? Um, Well, they don't come to me. I have gone to them because I have done a lot of research. Um, I've gone to them. I haven't gone to the body farm. Um, It's too far away for me, but I – since I worked for the funeral home for 13 years, I know a lot about the different stages. And also, I've done my research. I've uh, sat through an autopsy. And needless to say, I've sat through any number of embalmings and uh, that sort of thing. So I, I'm going to give a little backstory just because it's probably going to lead to the, the wandering and meandering that will probably happen. Um, Jeannie and I had met at a number of conferences over a couple of years. And then one night we were at... Con Carolina, as I believe it was. And one of the things that we typically will do is called the Mad Scientists. And generally, it's anywhere between six or eight people. I've been in the room where it was 20. And they apparently told everybody but us that the panel was canceled. And so we walked into the room, and there was a packed room and nobody on the panel. Not even the moderator. Yeah, no moderator, so there was nobody to play parent. Um, <laughs> so they just had a room full of people with nobody to talk. Right. Well, we took care of that. We took care of that. <laughs> and being the last panel of the night, and we might have been in the bar, and some other people might have brought alcohol with them. Um, and when I say we had probably, what, 30 people in the room? Easily. At least, I don't remember, because by that point that, that day, I think that was one of those weekends I'd had 18 panels in a row. 
Um, and so we went in and we're like, all right, well, let's go do this. And we, it wound up devolving into how do we destroy the world? Because ironically enough, both of us have spent some time and career in DR, continuity, um, me obviously from the technology side and some of the me things that the I've economic, done. Me from the economic development side. And her from the economic development side. So we had way too much fun for a couple of hours for something that is still being talked about by the small number of people that were in that room. And it's one of those events that more people have said that they were there to hear that the, those iconic ramblings than I think could have fit in the hotel. But <laughs> and We did really destroy the world several times. The, the panel, I think, was originally called Evil Geniuses. And it was supposed to be about, you know, how to end the world. And it was supposed to be eight or nine science types. And I was on there because I have a science background and the whole body disposal thing. And then it was just me and Jim. I see. All all hell broke loose. And by the time it was over and done, we settled on the fact that as always, the microbes win. Yes. (laughs) That seems that that appears to be the most efficient and, and best way and quickest way to go about doing it at this point, other than nuclear explosions. Um, no, actually microbes are way more efficient than nukes. Well, uh, yeah, probably. Although nukes have a certain level of deep impact, if you will, that, uh, that you could, (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <I'm done. laughs> that you can uh, that you can say at least the the initial impact is so significant that that right there might do it. You know, this is one of those things that has led to a long, interesting friendship. And uh, I will also mention the fact that Jeannie is also one of the great contributors for Continual, the great morass of a media company that is expanding and growing in tendrils in all 800 different directions. So, you know, when we started talking and I found out about the body class, um, because, of course, we all have gallows humor. Anyway, so there's nothing like being at breakfast one morning at a convention where you might have imbibed a little bit the night before um, and be sitting there and start talking about body disposal. And if you put a group of horror writers or just writers in general at a table at right. Well, if food or alcohol is involved or you just put them at a table, food or alcohol will be involved. So if you (laughs) put them at a table, the gallows humor and the gallows conversation is going to come out. And then you find out you teach what? (laughs) (laughs) So we started talking and over the years, we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, what led up to this. So, I think why don't we start at the funeral home business? Because I think that's one of those things that knowing this crowd, there's a lot of both interesting facts about how the business works, but also the sick and twisted. I mean, interesting stories that come <laughs> from working in that particular business. Mm-hmm. So how did you wind up in the funeral home business? Well, it's one of those, you know, boy meets girl, girl meets boy. And, uh, Boy says, I'm going to become a funeral director, and girl says, see you later. Um, (laughs) But I ended up, my first uh, husband was a funeral director, and he started out when we were in college by uh, just working as as a night guard at the funeral home. And then he decided he wanted to become a funeral director, so I put him through mortuary school, and then we didn't ever live in the funeral home. I did draw the line at that, Um, but so for 13 years... Uh, I was associated with the funeral home, put him through mortuary school. His family owned a cemetery, so I helped run that for a little bit. And 
uh, you know, did books and manned the office and that kind of thing. So I learned the ins and outs of how the business works. And uh, then then uh, uh, he and I divorced, and I decided that one of the best ways of, of emotional revenge was to teach a class using all the stuff I learned. <laughs> So let's talk about, just to get things going here, how does the process of actually embalming a body begin and what are the steps to actually doing it? Well, most of the time in terms of a regular funeral home, you get to the body either while it's still in rigor or before it even goes into rigor mm-hmm. um, because you've called, been called from the hospital and usually the hospital is at, at room temperature and so the body doesn't uh, actively go into rigor for, uh, for a little bit um, at room temperature. Now, there's always those exceptions, but in talking about just sort of a normal case, um, you bring the client back to the funeral home, uh, the body is washed. Now, let me just step back and say that every funeral director I ever knew, including my ex-husband, found this as a calling. This was a calling, much like going into the ministry. Um, You're serving the public. You're serving grieving families. So uh, despite the fact that they had all had really gallows humor and through wild and crazy parties and all that sort of thing because they sort of knew life is short, play hard. Um, they did treat everybody with the utmost respect. But the, So the body's brought back to the funeral home and you go in the embalming room where there are big long tables that are covered like enamel covered metal or sometimes they're stainless steel. And they have sort of a gutter along the side and the drain at the bottom goes straight into the sewer system. Um, most people don't know that. Um, so the body's washed. Wait, wait a minute. You, the, the stuff that you do on that table goes right into the sewer system? It sure does. Like, okay, what, <laughs> what, what drains into that sewer just to give everybody a little bit more cringe factor worthiness here? <laughs> it you is know, Halloween it is season. That's right. Um, well, usually it's just blood. You okay. Know, uh, so the body has to be arranged on the table before you start embalming. So the legs have to be elevated because once you embalm, the body is essentially frozen. I mean, it's, it sets up to be in a state where you can't move anything. Mm-hmm. So you elevate the feet so that at the end of the process, you can put trousers on the body or pull a skirt up over the hips because if you don't do that, you can't move the feet. You can't move the legs. They won't move. So the legs are elevated and the head is elevated because, remember, most of the time in a casket, the head is sitting up on a pillow. So if you embalm with the body flat, you can't then move them to sit up on a pillow. The body won't move. So you have to arrange it so the head is elevated to the level that it would be on the pillow that's in the casket. And by the way, everybody, casket, not coffin. A casket is what we use today, you know, nice rounded domed lid, whatever, wood, metal. A casket is an eight-sided, a uh, coffin is an eight-sided Dracula box. You don't use that anymore. Unless somebody has specifically made one just for the purpose of being buried in a coffin. I say, there are still some people who do that. So There are. Yeah. There are. And there's still Bury some people who sleep. other activities. <laughs> there are some people who still sleep in them, James. Um, so wait, what? Never mind. We'll get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so the head is elevated, the feet are elevated, and the hands are positioned on the chest with blocks of uh, rubber. They call them chocks, like an airplane chalk, like you would put under a, a, a 
tire to keep it from moving. You put one on the belly and put a hand on that, put one between the hands and put the top hand on that so that there's there's spacers so that when the body is embalmed and won't move anymore, you have a way to still put sleeves over the hands because gravity will do the work of bringing the hands down to the chest and the feet down flat on the table, but you cannot, once embalmed, bring them back up. So you have to set it up so that's all done ahead of time. You put uh, plastic spacers underneath the eyelids so you can close the eyes and make sure they stay closed because you don't want to embalm with the eyes open because can't close them afterwards, and that would be really creepy. Um, they so also put a plastic... Uh, is yeah. embalming fluid more or less super glue for the body then? Is, what, is that what you're saying here? Or Well, it's a fixative. Uh, formaldehyde is still the most prevalent ingredient, and it's a fixative. So it fixes the tissues in their existing state. It kills the bacteria, most of the 99.9% of the bacteria, and fixes everything in a rigid state. You have to space the hands so that after you're done and the body is in that rigid state, you can still put sleeves on, right? Because if they're frozen to the chest, if the hands are flat on the chest, there's no way to lift them and slip sleeves over the hands. So you have all your spacers done and um, you make an incision in the jugular just below the collarbone so that it won't be seen when the body is dressed. And generally, especially old-time embalmers, will make the exit pumping uh incision for the cannula at the ankle because then the blood will go straight down into the uh, sewer line instead of running along the sides and possibly um, you then have to wash the body again. So um, you put an exit cannula at the big vein in the ankle and then you um, mix your fluid, which... The, the old-timey embalmers used to say that a good embalmer could put everything back but the breath. So let's say if your client had him, uh, jaundice or uh, some sort of issue where there's lots of heavy bruising or things like that, a lot of times a good embalmer can mix fluids to the point where it takes that away. And it can return the all but the flush of life to the flesh. Uh they can use a mixture of different fluids that will combat the, the skin tone changes that may that serious illness may have brought. And so um, once you've made that incision under the collarbone, you put your – it's a cannula, is a long, hollow needle, and that is attached to a rubber hose, which is then attached to the embalming pump. And the embalming pump essentially is mimicking uh, what a heart does. It's pumping fluid throughout the body. Except in this case, it's exchanging fluid. It's exchanging blood, which carries bacteria and decay pathogens and all that sort of thing, for embalming fluid, mm-hmm. which then will preserve the body far longer than any one of us really ever need for it to be preserved. Um, and so they turn on the pump, and the, the pump exchanges blood for embalming fluid. And then um, when you start seeing no blood running out at the ankle and um, you start seeing a little bit of embalming fluid come out, that's when you turn off the pump and you pull out the cannulas and you stitch everything up. And then um, they also will use the pump and a a long um, instrument that we used to call the silver sword. It's um, – 
a tr- it's called a trocar. That's the technical name for it. An incision is made just above the belly button, and they use the trocar, sort of like a very long two-foot needle, to insert embalming fluid in the internal organs because our hearts are like a total miracle that nothing can emulate. Nothing can pump embalming fluid to all those small organs in the body. So you have to, in order to keep the body from decaying from the inside out, you have to uh, get embalming fluid into the body cavity too. So that's what happens. And then when that's done, they stitch that up. And then, you know, the old joke, people used to tell stories about, you know, the body sat up as if, as if it sat up, you know, oh, it's so scary. The body sat up. Well, the technical term is it's set, S-E-T, set up which means you leave the client there for at least four to six hours so that the embalming fluid penetrates all the way through to the tissues and the body sets up, which means that it's stiff and it's the settling of the fluids has kept, has preserved the tissue. So once that's done, then um, hair and makeup comes in. Uh, You get the, your beautician, whoever works with the funeral home, if the person is a local person, they bring in the, they may bring in their, that person's barber or beautician. Um, they do makeup and they usually consult the family, get a photograph, make sure that, you know, they're not making them look like a saloon girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, well, uh, Grady, she looks like a whore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Diane, I don't want to be made up what? to look like a saloon girl. <laughs> Now, one thing I should go back and say is that if if uh, you want granddad's wedding ring before, you know, to pass on to somebody or grandmama's diamond or whatever, that has to be taken off before embalming. Because uh-huh. remember, can't move the body once. <laughs> that means you can't move those rings on and off if if you had to, you know, do anything to, to get it off. So um, glasses, of course, can be taken on and off, but. But anything like rings that might have to have a hard time coming on and off if, you know, old, older people's knuckles or whatever, that has to be done before embalming. Then uh, the, the hairstyle, the makeup's done. The, uh, while all that's being done, the family is usually picking out a casket. And contrary to some TV and movies and six feet under and pushing daisies and all that, um, while the funeral home is a business, they're not out to, like, hurt people. They're not out there trying to like really screw people because it's also what we used to, what we always called a legacy business. A funeral home wants to be in your community for 300 years. They want to be burying your grandma and your mama and you when your time comes and your children when their time comes because, and if they screw you over, they're not going to get that business. And it's not like, uh, in a small community, especially, it's not like people are dying every day. So if you screw things up and really screw somebody, you know, financially, they're not coming back. So they take great care. And what they usually do, the sales pitch is usually they walk to the most expensive casket in the room. Like the most expensive wood casket is usually the Mastercraft 710, which was what John Kennedy was buried in. It's three I inches. I love how they have solid. names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's three inches of solid mahogany. Personally, I think it's a waste of beautiful mahogany, but it's uh, heavy as lead and three inches of solid mahogany. 
And then they go to the highest gauge steel casket and how beautiful this is. And then they go down all the way down to the very lowest end. Here's the very least expensive wooden casket. Here's the very least expensive metal casket. Everything else in this room is somewhere in between. You decide what you want for mom or daddy. So while the family is doing that, the funeral director is helping the family with that. The embalmer is making sure that everything is ready to go. So once they pick the casket and they tell you what you want the body dressed in, whether that's, you know, a nice simple dress that you bring from home or a suit you bring from home, or um, it's something the funeral home provides, they will cut it up the back. Not the trousers, but they'll pull the trousers on over the feet, do the buckles, do the belt, you know. Um, most of the time, people do bring socks and shoes, so the funeral home puts the socks and shoes on. If it's a uniform, everything is done to the specification. If it's a military, any kind of military uniform, that's done uh, with very specific specifications. If it's a pastor or a priest or someone of a denominative religion where there's vestments, those are done very specifically. There have been some really crazy things about that. Um, oh, do tell when the time comes. <laughs> well, there was a, it was not at one of the funeral homes I work with, but it was one of the stories everybody sat around telling was that there was a, um, a fellow who was a Methodist minister. And evidently in Methodism, there's a very specific way that the stole that the minister wears at, at death, it's crossed, I believe it's left over right but I'm not sure it's one way or the other. It's either left over right or right over left to signify that the person died in faith. And um, we used to always tell people, and I learned about this in psychology class, that if you are uh, funerary psychology, if you, you always encourage the family, even if they don't want an open casket, you always encourage them to come and see their loved one in the casket. It's closure. Also, sometimes the last memory they have prior to that is of grandmama being hooked up to all the tubes and wires and stuff in the, in the hospital, and that can be very traumatic. So sometimes seeing grandmama in the casket is a lot better memory to leave somebody with. But also, the funeral home gets that final double check of, yes, this is your loved one in the casket you picked out, in the clothes you brought to us, all the things, all the eyes are I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But also, it's so that everybody has peace of mind about how everything went. Does he have a pocket square? Yes, he has a pocket square. Are the medals on his chest and we're going to take those off before the casket goes in the ground? Yes. Uh, glasses on? Yes. Uh, vestments on? Yes. So this lady didn't want to see him in the casket and absolutely got hysterical about doing so and would not. Ten years later. She came to the funeral home and asked that they exhume her husband so that she could be sure it had been done correctly. What? What? Exhumation is super expensive. And so these funeral directors had to spend a lot of time talking this lady out of it. And they did not talk her out of it. So she spent somewhere in the nature of eight or nine thousand dollars just so she could be sure it was done right. And, you know, that nobody nobody wants to do that. Nobody likes to do that. It's never pleasant. And no matter how much the, the television shows, you know, like you'll see the cop show and they're like, you're going to exhume the body and get this evidence. And it's like, only if a judge orders it. And if guess who has to pay for it if the judge, if you don't find evidence? The state's 
has to the state has to pay for it, and sometimes the investigators do if they've done it without cause. If they go around without getting a warrant to get the body exhumed, oh man! And if the family does it, like I said, I mean, it's probably nowadays it's probably more on the range of eight to ten thousand dollars to do it. And nobody wants to do it. The, the cemetery will try to dissuade you. Everybody will try to dissuade you because also you don't want to see that. It's just not very pleasant. So, um, because embalming does preserve the body, but it it the body still does have bacteria. And if you dig somebody up ten years later, they they start they have lichens and you know those sorts of things. Those have started to grow. Um, so it's not pleasant. Um, but anyway, you get you get the uh, everything arranged in the casket, and then that's that's where you go from there. Now, if somebody's had to have an autopsy, it's a whole different deal, and and a uh, much less um, pleasant one. So okay, so I have to ask. Okay, with the autopsy, they do the whole Y cut in the chest and all that stuff. Right. So you are right. getting the leftovers from what they've done to to right. make it happen. So what usually happens is they will put the chest plate back on. So what happens, they cut the chest plate down the side of the body with, like, gardening shears. And so they can just lift the chest plate straight off like a plate. <laughs> they give you a trunk. And Yeah. And then they usually, they will put that back in before they sew everything up. But all the parts inside, they take those and those go to, they sample those and then they go to medical waste. They don't go back in. So the funeral home has to deal with somebody who's basically concave. And that doesn't present very well in the casket. So in that situation, do you put stuffing in there or? Yep. It's called wood wool. You've probably seen it in gift packs and things like that. It's it's shredded wood chips, like finely, finely shredded okay. wood. And they put that in there as packing material. And then mo- pretty much the, the, um, the procedure is the same, but it's a lot shorter because all that stuff in the middle doesn't have to be done. So – since since you've had the autopsy, everything's been removed. Um, the person now has a, a kangaroo pouch for a chest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when you're pumping the embalming fluid in, obviously it's it's not a, a whole connected system anymore. So right. how do you get the embalming fluid through? When you, with the old with the other way, you're telling me you've basically got it in and an out. If fluid goes in here, right. blood comes out there into the sewer system. Gross, disgusting. When you get a body right. that's been done with an autopsy or heaven forbid car accidents and, and far greater things, how do you right. embalm the person in that situation? Because you can't. There's it's the juice box has holes in it at, at that point. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you have to do it. Uh, honestly, I've I've heard funeral directors having to do it a, a limit a limb at a time. And, wow! Uh, I mean, this isn't like a Capri the, Sun anymore, where you just stick it in there and do what you got to do. Right. Okay. Exactly. And with like things like car accidents, as long as the body is reasonably intact, that doesn't talk about anything internally being you know intact. But as long as the actual limbs are reasonably intact, you can do a fairly decent job of embalming the, the usual way. But like with an autopsy, you'll try it the original way and uh, see see where you get. And then sometimes in, in serious and severe cases where like lots of stuff is gone, you have to just go limb by limb. And um, a lot of times too, like you mentioned, serious car accidents, if there's a lot of body trauma there's not going to be an open casket. Mm -hmm. So sometimes 
it's recommended at that point that you use a body bag and you use a sealer, metal sealer casket. And once it's sealed, it's not opened. So embalming is not something you need to worry about if there's that much catastrophic damage. So base, I mean, I could see something coming in and, and here we go with the gallows humor, like looking and going, Oh man, this is going to be a lot of work to, to this guy's (laughs) going to take a lot of work to do this with. So yeah, I got to ask now, since you've explained all of this and you've been there through some of this stuff, what are some of the craziest things you've seen while doing this kind of stuff? I mean, you've already talked about bodies sitting up and things like that. I'm sure you saw that kind of stuff all the time. So are are there like degrees of crazy things that you've seen happen behind the scenes while doing this kind of stuff? Of course, you can't mention names or anything like that. I understand that. Well, I've seen some crazy things, but most of them have to do with the families and not the bodies. I mean... The, we used to joke at the funeral homes that I worked for that there was a reason we had two-inch thick oak doors on all of the arrangements rooms because you'd get these families come in where, you know, three, four kids and one of them is a Buddhist and, you know, doesn't want anything to touch the body and it must be pristine and you can't embalm and, it, you know, no fire, no nothing. It must return to the earth the way it is. And, you know, we've already probably embalmed the body because the direct Something most people don't know is the next of kin owns your remains. So, Jim, your wife owns your, when you die, your body, your remains are the property of your wife. Well, she already owns his We know what's going to happen there. Yeah, well. (laughs) So, so we saw crazy things where the young stepmom to the, you know, who's like two years younger than the 30 and 35 year old kids, son son and daughter of the deceased um, sent him directly to cremation without even barely telling the kids he was dead and no chance for them to say their goodbyes or anything, no funeral, no nothing because she wasn't going to pay for that. So this is where the two inch thick doors come into play, isn't it? It is. It is. We've had shouting matches. We had fisticuffs two or three times. There was one point where there was one time where we actually had to call the police um, to separate these guys because they literally would not stop fighting. And uh, when they started to take on the funeral director, they called the police. Um, <laughs> so that's really been the crazy stuff. And then the crazy stuff people ask for. I mean, can you can you uh, bury my mother with her bunny slippers on is like the least innocuous. It's like, what about this negligee? How about we use that? It's like, um, no, we, we, no, we're not going to have an open casket with your late wife in a negligee. Um, we've, we've had questions about, you know, can we bury him in his boy scout uniform? And we say, yes, if it's decent, you know, if, well, he hasn't worn it in about 15 years and he's gained a lot of weight. Can't you just shave a little off? Well, no, wait, no, wait, no, we can't do that. Define shave a little. <laughs> define shave a little off. What do you? What do you? Because, <laughs> oh. like, I know my clothes from twenty years ago aren't going to fit me anymore. I just know that they're not. I know nobody in my family yeah. is going to be like, "Yeah, bury them in this old shirt here or whatever." I mean, I, I know that's not yeah. going to happen, but I, I've got some room to shave off. But. I mean, can you do that? Is that possible? No, no, No? you can't. (laughs) That's considered desecration. You can't do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it doesn't mean they didn't ask us to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are cutting the shirts and stuff from the back, so you've got a little bit of wiggle room there. That's probably a bad term to use in these regards. But um, <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, you I you know you've got the usual uh, bunch of family feuds and things like that. So has anybody oh, yeah. tried to storm the doors to get into the embalming room or anything like that? No, we never had that. Um, although we did have a couple of people who were very, very superstitious. And um, the the biggest funeral home uh, I worked with, the embalming room was probably about 25 by 15 or 20. So it was a pretty long room. It was this long rectangular room. And, uh, of course, it was very well lit. So the, the light switches, the bank of light switches, there are about nine of them. And they were on the wall just inside the door. Well, it was another one of these big heavy oak doors, and it was on an air hinge. So we had two of our embalmers, who one of whom was quite an old gentleman, and the other one who was very young. And both of them had this habit of they would push open the door with their hip while it was still dark in there. They'd reach in and flip all the light switches up. Then they'd step back and let the door close and wait a minute. Just And I finally asked the older gentleman, I said, why do you do that? He said, well, it just gives a chance for the ghost to clear out. Well, the younger guy said he did it, said he did it because the older guy did it. And he just thought it was honoring the tradition. Well, some of the other folks at the funeral home, being pranksters, decided that he was doing it because he was afraid of the ghosts. So one of them got in there one day and waited. And when he reached in to flip up the light switches... They grabbed his hand. Oh, oh! You, you oh. could hear the scream. You could hear the scream on the street. <laughs> Hello, boys and girls. Today's word is PTSD. <laughs> Go to a funeral home yes, and do this, indeed. and if the person freaks out, you've done it right. <laughs> hey, you've been in North Carolina. That's right. You have been to North Carolina. All right, James. Uh, do you got anything you want to add in here? Because I, I, I've had her talking for a little bit. You want to throw anything in with this, or? Uh... Well, you know, so one of the other fun bits because we're talking about death and funerals is, um, and I feel sure we're going to come back to this. But as one of Jeannie's other former careers, which also involves handling the dead, um, she did a little work for a psychic for a period of time. I did. I was a scheduler for a psychic. She was a fabulous, fabulous psychic, too. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> so you, you've worked on both okay. ends of the dead. I get this. Okay. Yeah. So so where are we going with this then? Since, hey, it's Halloween. Why not? Sure. And again, you know, writing about witches and ghosts and Romance. And things that go bump in the night. I really particularly like the things that go bump in the night. I gather that. <laughs> and, but that's and, when you've also got you know, romance with the things that go bump ugly, uglies in the night. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait a minute. Do you write paranormal? Are you the one of those people that writes paranormal porn novels? I, I, like, do, do you, do you, I do not. I do not write porn novels. No. No. You write romance novels. Gotcha. Okay. I see where we're going. I do. Okay. I do. But you got to remember, romance novels are the largest section of the mass market paperback it's 63% of this paperback market, and it's a $68 billion industry, so don't knock it. Oh, I'm not judging you. There's no, there's no judgment here whatsoever at all. You know, I just, 
you know, I'm just thinking like, you know, hot vampire on vampire action or something like that or, you know. Yes, uh, yes. And you, you can know. do that male, female, male, male, female, female. You can do that any way you want to in a romance novel. But yeah, I mean, you know, but, you know, the thing about romance novels that's really great is there's always a happily ever after, no matter how grim you make it in the middle. And I'm trust me, I put my characters through unmitigated hell, but um, I always give them a happily ever after. And in my case, it's always monogamous. So <laughs> monogamous paranormal. OK, so you worked yep. for a psychic. Um, I did. It was fun. So were you working with the psychic after or before or during you were doing the funeral home stuff? Um, well, both. I, I worked for her while I still was uh, was married to my ex-husband and doing funeral home stuff. And then I worked for her after I left my husband and got divorced. I continued to work for her for, I don't know, six or seven years after I had. Wait, was there was there a cross-businessing here? You know, because they say when not, you're in business, it's good that. to have something to tie into the business to keep it going. Yes. So, not not by design, actually. I I, I would I think but I that's not a no. Like, <laughs> yeah. no. I'll put it this way: no, I would have recommended no, promoting with every funeral comes a free reading. But there you go. <laughs> I would have felt a little squeaky about doing that, but um, it was fascinating that there were people who did uh, end up being clients of of my colleague who was the psychic. And I couldn't tell him, um, yeah, I know who you are <laughs> because I had known when their loved one died because I had been affiliated with the funeral home. So, um, but they didn't, uh, they didn't put two and two together. I did, but they didn't though. Inadvertently, I did have clients from both places. <laughs> and they never cued in that you were, Hey, you're the chick from the funeral home. You, no. up, you, you handled uncle Mort's funeral. Or anything no, like that. No. no. Well, you no. got to remember people, people, uh, see what they want to see. So uh, in the funeral home setting, they would see you as a professional person in a suit, you know, uh, sitting at the desk, handling the calls or, you know, driving one of the family cars or something like that. And you're always in a business suit and you're always, you know, quiet and unassuming and kind of staying in the background. And when you're being somebody's scheduling coordinator, you're essentially to their mind, the secretary, and they don't pay much mind to you. So it never occurred to most of those people to, uh, to cross over. Awesome. Do you have stories from this? I'm assuming you do. So, Oh, Lord. Well, you know, there's always the person who is so desperate to figure out whether somebody knew they were loved or not. And that's always kind of sad. There were some of those. And there was always, you know, what was interesting was the people who called up and said, we're having a we're having a um, bachelorette party and we want to hire your psychic to come and do this. And it's like, um. No, no, she doesn't do that. Why don't you call Madam Swami down the street? She can come and, you know, be carnival barker for you. Because the gal I worked for was, she just had an extra whammy and was just a really good counselor. And uh, so uh, for me, it was always funny to have those people who called, yeah, we got this bachelor party going. We want to have somebody come, the psychic come and tell us, you know, our fortunes. And it's like, no, it kind of didn't work that way. (laughs) You know, when I went a couple of years ago, I went out to Vegas and then I drove up, Me, I convinced the wife to drive up to like where Area 51 was. And they've got this little shop up there called the Alien Research Center. And you walk in there and it's got alien vodka bottles and anything to do with extraterrestrials. There's an alien in the back. There's an alien that looks like Marilyn Monroe. And I was talking to the woman that works there. And I'm still trying to get her back on the show. But I was talking to her. I'm like, what is... I'm like, what is the craziest stuff you've seen here? Because I know you have to see crazy stuff coming in here. And she as well, one of the craziest things is somebody took a bus from Vegas and they brought a whole bachelorette party in a bus to this alien research store 
um, with all this extraterrestrial stuff. And it's, it's like right out in the middle of nowhere. There's like this town has a beef jerky store, which is fantastic, a gas station, um, I think <laughs> a small trailer park, um, and something else. And then there's like this one. Of the, it's like one of those half can buildings. That, you know, it looks like a soda can on its side. And uh-huh. um, and she's like, yeah, they brought a bachelorette. Uh, they rented a bus and brought a whole bachelorette party out here to to hang out at the <laughs> store. You're in Vegas. And what what are you? What why how what where, how does this happen? How how do you go from <laughs> Vegas to come to why? this place? Yeah. Although I imagine that'll get more popular now that the Air Force has finally admitted that they're UFOs. Yeah, sort of. But <laughs> um, I keep waiting to be picked up. Yeah. I, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> now, now, just you wait. You're going to be like, oh, shit, they came for me. He'll be holding the anal probe in his hand. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so let first- me get there. Wouldn't be the first time somebody's returned me. Um, <laughs> Throw him back. <laughs> so, okay, tell tell me some stories that tell me some crazy stories. I guess if you've got them about the the whole psychic thing, because there's obviously some there. James wouldn't have brought it up. Well, <laughs> and, and there's two parts to that. One of which is because we were talking oh, about this, okay. this afternoon. Oh yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Um, one of the things we were talking about earlier this afternoon is the difference between, as you say, Madam Swami and the cheap scarves and going to somebody like that, that like you say, is legitimate. And I thought there was some good conversation we had about that earlier this afternoon about kind of telling the difference between the two and what are you getting and in your experience, how some of that actually works. Well, I mean, you know, either way, I mean, sometimes even the, the sidewalk psychics are get things right. And that can, that can frighten people when, um, when somebody gets something right. And I remember people would come out of my friend's office and just be white as a sheet. And, you know, I would say, are you all right? Do you, do you need to sit down for a minute? Nope. Nope. Got to leave right now. Leaving right now. Never coming back. And, you know, I would check with my friend and go, everything okay. And a lot of times uh, from the psychic's perspective, they may not know what they told you because they're sort of disassociated from, uh, they're channeling. They're channeling that psychic message from wherever it comes from. And a lot of times they can't either can't hear it or they're not supposed to hear it. So um, sometimes she didn't even know what she said. Uh, one of the other things that I always had to do if somebody was doing a phone reading, I was how I would always have to tell people, you have to understand that you are being recorded. And that is so that you have a copy of this because you will not remember a lot of what this is being said because you'll get fixated on one thing and she's not going to stop just because you're fixated on one thing because she may not know um and you'll miss the other stuff so we record the session you take the only copy of that tape you know uh we would have i would have people call back and go are you sure there's no other copy of this tape are you sure there's no other copy of this tape because if there's a copy of this tape i will buy it from you i I don't want any other copies of this tape and you know sometimes just my twisted sense of humor, the, the temptation to say, well, what would you give me? <laughs> <laughs> I what never, is on this I tape? I never did. I was so good. I never did. But, um, the you know, sometimes people would be really, really freaked out. But was in, what was always interesting was that those people would it'd be a year or two, but almost always they would come back and end up being regular clients. 
because whatever she told them resonated so much and was so true that they couldn't deny it, which freaked them out completely. Um, but, and they had to take a while and process that and deal with it. And then they would be like, okay, I found that out and I needed to know that. So let me go see what else I can find out. So it was always crazy to me that the ones that were absolutely freaked out and went running out of the office, like their hair was on fire, usually ended up coming back. It usually took a year, but uh, they would come back and end up being some of the best, you know, most consistent clients uh, coming back. But that was always crazy. So since we've gone this route... And yeah. you've worked in a funeral home, and you've also worked for a psychic. Now, obviously, from the sounds of it, you have uh, somewhat of a belief in the paranormal from what it sounds like. So, yep. having said that, being that you have worked at a funeral home and dealing with this stuff, do you have stories? Do I have stories? Oh, yeah. Okay. Of, so, my, of my own? Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, like I said, when I first started being associated with the funeral home, my now ex-husband was the night watchman and uh he would he would get up at two or four two and four and go check out make sure all the doors were locked just basically do a circuit go back to bed and um he would tell stories sometimes of hearing singing in the funeral home or you know and then you go and look for the origin of that and there would be none and sometimes you're locking up there was one time I was there and he was locking up and I was going to, you know, leave and go home back to my apartment. And, uh, um, he said, well, just, you know, take the last round with me. And so I walked around the funeral home and we were in the close to the front door and we heard the door close on some of the, the, um, the rooms where you would have visitations had accordion doors and they would pull close. So you could close off that room if you just had a, needed a smaller space for a smaller family grouping. Or you could open the whole place up if you had a really large one. Or if you had two or three going at a time, you could make sure that the other rooms that were in use were closed off until, you know, while the main part was being used. And um, we went and checked the front door and we were coming back and we heard a noise. And one of the doors that had just been closed five minutes before when we walked past it was standing all the way open. We were like, that's weird. Close the doors, lock them. Good night. I go home. The next day he tells me that he got up at two and at four and they were open again each time. And we never did figure out that one. We just never did figure out why that fella was interested in having those doors open, but he was. Um, And, you know, I mean, none of those that's a thing that you can't, there was nobody else in the funeral home and it wouldn't have been a good prank. Even if there was someone else in the funeral home because all he did was just close the doors and lock them. But it was weird enough that they talked about that one for a while because there was no real reason for, like I said, there was no reason for anybody to prank it. And three times in one night, those doors were open. Um, Now I've, I've had uh, stuff like that happen in houses I've lived in where they've been haunted. And I've also had to call my psychic friend and go, okay, this is happening in my house. What do I do? Okay. I got, no, 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 no. Stop and stop. Would you say something like that? I've got to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> so like, have you had to have, like, actually sit down and have a conversation with something and say, all right, I get it. You're here. Leave me the hell alone. I'm busy right now. Or, you know, have you, because you're, you're around yeah. dead bodies all the time. 
So in the spiritual yeah. sense, somebody's just died. If, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to follow their body around or whatever. You know, are they going to hang out at the right. funeral home to see the rest of the family or whatnot? You know, right, right. Yeah. So, well, the the one experience I had that was in my own home was I lived in this old house, and it was probably I don't know seventy or eighty years old, and I would get up, you know, go go to bed at night, check all the doors. The dogs and I would go to bed. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of sometimes your dogs look up and they look like they're looking at something or following something or they'll scramble off and go barking at something that isn't there. Well, you know, if you've had dogs growing up with dogs or whatever, you don't think much about that. Well, I lived in this old house and the dogs would periodically bark and sometimes they would go down and they would stare at the front door and that would freak me out. But nothing really overt happened for the first couple months I lived there. And then I would get up and I would come down in the morning to get my coffee started and the front door would be unlocked and open about half an inch. Now, when you're a single woman living alone, that will freak you the hell out. So that happened two or three times in one week. And I started putting a chair behind the door and the chair would be moved out and it would be open half an inch. And uh, so I called my psychic friend and I said, what in the ever living hell and what do I need to do? <laughs> so I ended up with a bundle of sage and clearing things and said, look, I don't care. You know, I basically made an announcement, got, you know, got on the PA system and said, look, I don't mind living with ghosts. I'm fine. But if you unlock this door one more time, I will clear all of you out. And I will uh, not. Listen, uh, I will not cool here, but, uh, you know, could you just like get your shit and get the hell out of here? Because you're freaking out. <laughs> Pretty much. Clean up on aisle four. <laughs> and I never, I never had another problem with it. They didn't want to go. Now they did other things around the house, but nothing. They never left that front door unlocked again. That we set down ground rules. So yeah, you know, like, yep. whatever you want to do, we watch me in the shower if you want, but leave the damn door closed. <laughs> exactly. Cause you know, that's a safety issue. I'm not having that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not in the mood to join you quite yet. Exactly. Exactly. So, and worse yet, I didn't want the dogs to get out. Well, yeah. So now that you've done, now you've explained all this. Now, when you go to conferences and you do conferences, you said that you explain how to get rid of the bodies. So yeah. uh, where do we start with this? If I were to kill somebody in theory, if I were to kill off, I don't know, if I were to kill a person off, um, let's say it's January uh, in Michigan. You know, how do I how do I dispose of the body properly if I were to kill somebody off? Knowing what you know and how you explain these things at the show, what what would you suggest I do? Pigs. Find a, find a, find a good pig farmer. Yeah, because pig farmers aren't going to ask any questions about me showing up with a body saying, hey, um, do you mind if I feed the pigs here? You know, can I, can, right. can we make no. some bacon? But, but, you know, if you find a pig farmer, he or she does have to sleep at some point, And you can always slip into the pig pen and leave those goodies covered in mud. The pigs will take care of them for you. Yeah, but the pigs as aren't going to eat the bones, are they? You, yes, they will. As long as you break the skull and the hip joints, the ball joints of the hip, they'll eat everything else. They'll and eat you, the bone, you, too. They'll eat the bone. As long as you break it down, break down the skull, because they can't, their mouths won't open wide enough to crush the skull. They can crush anything else, like, like bones and femurs and that sort of thing. They can crush that. Um, and But they can't get their mouth around the ball joint of the hip. It's too big. And they can't get their mouth around the skull. So if you are willing to break up the skull and break up the ball joint of the hip and 
put all the pieces, the rest of the pieces in the pig pen, you can get rid of that body. Well, you've, you've gone through the process now, of killing the person. I'm sure the extra enough for breaking the skull. And Now, the ball joints would be a little bit difficult as for breaking. I mean, are you going to take a sledgehammer and just bust the person's yeah. hip up? Wow. Well, ball I, hammer. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, and, and you know, part of the reason I know this. That's, not, that's my next question. Is, How do you know this? <laughs> is, so there's this very cool thing. Where is your ex-husband right now, by the way? What? <laughs> 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 So one of the things that I did uh, not too long ago, maybe about 10 years ago, is I went to Writers Police Academy. Yeah. Which is a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Which is a whole lot of fun. And I found a, a, a kindred spirit in a guy who uh, worked for the DEA, and he did not use his real name for any part of the uh, seminar, but he showed photographs um, uh, from what the drug enforcement the, what the cartels were doing in Mexico to get rid of um, people that they did not care to have keeping around. Um, and they involved vultures. And they basically cultivated a flock of vultures that any time the little Toyota truck with its burden of a body wrapped in plastic would come driving up, the vultures would just land. They would just come from everywhere. So they ended up with a flock of about 35 vultures. And they would dump the body and they would make slits in the skin of the, the big muscles on the legs. And then uh, along the arms and the belly and everything, the vultures would take care of as much as they take care of. And that took literally about 15 minutes or less. And then they would wade into this mass of vultures and crack the bones open and the hip joints and the skull and the vultures would swoop back in and do the rest of their work. And literally maybe 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, there would be nothing left. And so he's the one who told me, I knew that pigs in general could do it. And he's the one who told me the gory details about the ball joint and the head and why they can't do that on their own. I had no idea that pigs could consume bone like that and and digest it, I'm assuming as well. Oh Yeah. The only oh, thing yeah. they occasionally I find is the tooth. Yeah, I mean, you know, the or they, I mean, it's not foolproof. There's very little that's foolproof. I mean, you know, everybody jokes. One of the things that people always ask me when I teach the body disposal classes, yeah, sharks. What about sharks? I'm thinking, okay, so yeah, first of all, you got to find them, which it's a big ocean out there, right? Uh, second of all, even if you spend a week chumming and you've got a bunch of sharks. Um, they may not eat everything, and then it's going to float to the surface because decomposition causes bloat even in small, like let's say you bite off from the shin bone up and the shoe sinks for a moment, but then all the gases expand and the shoe floats up and some fisherman comes by and picks that up or it washes up on shore. And sure enough, with a blood test, you figure out that this is Bob who's been missing for six weeks. And then you go looking for Bob's boss who you know wanted him out of the way. Sharks are not foolproof. Most most usually because it's hard to find enough sharks to eat a person just on the spur of the moment. <laughs> so what about the whole uh, put a person you know put a person person's feet in cement and let it harden up and just drop them out of a boat and think down to the bottom of the ocean? Well, then because the, the feet are going to well, rot away and the body will float back up. I'm assuming. You got it. Okay. At least something will float up, and a lot of times that'll get caught in a trawler's net or fishing, you know, fishing lines or whatever. Yeah, that's all you want is a sport fisherman out trying to catch bluefin, and you haul up 
Uncle Joe. Just kind of gross. So, um, yeah, but, it, but that's also one on of the, the reasons. <laughs> that's one of the reasons the Navy stopped doing um, burial at sea is not an option for anyone. I don't count how many stars and bars they have on their shoulders because there are too many communication lines, too many trawlers, too many. They they just will not let you do it, and that's that's why. Well, they did it with Osama bin Laden, apparently, supposedly. So, but um, I'm suspecting I'm suspecting that there was some flame involved in that. Flame involved with that. <laughs> well, this reminds me of the it situation only, it where only takes uh, two, it, it takes about two hours to cremate a body, okay. an average sized human. Yeah. So, yeah, then you're left with the bones, I'm, and you run those through the cremulator, which grinds up the bones and everything. And you got you got to remove the metal well, out of it, of course. But so, well, here's the thing about cremation: cremation takes about two hours, and depending on the manufacturer, the the chamber heats from between um, 2,400 and 4,200 degrees. Depends on the manufacturer, and two hours is generally enough to reduce the average size human to ash. Now, as you point out. The cremains, so it's cremated remains, and they call, so that's shortened that to cremains. They're not remains because there's no flesh on the bones anymore. It's just the ashes, so it's cremains. So they, they pull the, what's usually left is the outline of the human body, just the bones. And they pull that into a tray with what's look this thing that looks like a long broom or a croupier's hook. And they put it in a big bin, just like a Rubbermaid tub. And they do run it through a grinder because when you scatter grandma's ashes, you really don't want recognizable parts. And there are still, although brittle and flaky and whatever, there are still recognizable parts at the end of cremation. So you grind up the the remake cremains into smaller pieces so there are not recognizable parts to freak people out. Um, a lot of things that people don't know is if you have titanium hip replacement joints, those do not, those are there. They have a serial number which can then be compared to a database. So if you're worried that you did not actually create Uncle Joe, cremate Uncle Joe, you can pull the titanium hip joint out, compare the serial number, and bada-bing, bada-boom, that's Uncle Joe. Oh, I thought they got uh, rid of all the metal pieces before they gave you the ashes. Were they giving the metal pieces back or no? Well, no, no. They, they, they don't return those to the family. Okay. Those actually are returned to medical companies for reuse. Um. Recycling at its best. Now, things like pacemakers have to come out before the person is cremated. And woe betide you if you forget to tell the funeral home that Boom. Uncle Joe has a pacemaker. Yeah, it's ugly. And it really can damage the equipment badly. Um, and everything else, too. Um, but, yeah, the metal pieces, if they're like surgical pins and screws and hip joints, you can't just randomly get those out before you put the body in the crematorium because there's really no way to do that. So you have to wait till the, the process is done, and then you put them in the recycling bin, and the cremains go in, to the grinder and then uh, into a plastic bag, into a cardboard box. And, by the way, all these shows and things like that that <laughs> show these people kind of lightly carrying this box of cremains, Cremains are heavy. They're very heavy. They are not like wood ash. Wood ash is light and feathery. Cremains are heavy. And so, you know, you see these people like tossing the tossing the box around. It's like, yeah, no, that's not going to be happening. <laughs> I saw that on Law and Order where, you know, some guy tossed the box of what was supposed to be cremains to another person. I'm like, oh, yeah, that no, no, that would not happen. <laughs> Go long. 
I have my my dog's ashes actually sitting next to me here on my desk. It's 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 weird. I, my mother's ashes are down in the basement in this little plastic thing because she was like, I don't I don't care what happens to me after I die. Just make sure I'm cremated and, and whatever you want to do with the ashes or whatever. So I've got this plastic container downstairs. It looks like a Tupperware container. I always have to laugh because the movie The Big Lebowski, they're trying to sell him an urn, and he's just like, just give me a coffee can. And they're like, sir. And he's like, just give me a coffee can. Well, that's basically what my mother is in. She's in this little plastic container with a flip-top lid on it. And I really don't care. But my dog's ashes are far more taken care of than my mother's ashes. Go figure. I've got a nice wooden box here for him. It's got a little picture of him on it and everything. And um, he's by my side. My mother, downstairs, not so much. But I had a buddy that was over here in and, and my basement. I used to have all of my, my tabletop gaming stuff down there for the longest time. So um, I was like, you can mess whatever you want. Just don't play with that plastic container on the top up there. You don't want to mess with that one. And he was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I went upstairs to get some beers and stuff. And I come back down, and he's, like, playing with the plastic container. I'm like, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. So he, like, and he pops it open. He's like, oh, yeah. And he reaches inside. What is this? You really don't want to know, dude. Just put it away. He's like, no, dude, what is this? And I'm like, that's my mom's ashes, dog. And he's like, oh, and he drops it. He gets all freaked out and stuff. And I'm like, I told you not to mess with it. He's like, why do you have your mom's ashes and like this little plastic container? Because, you know, she wouldn't have cared. That's what it came in that's, from the funeral home. Yeah, that was, their, that was their most modest, cheaply based thing, you know, which I, I always I, I always go back to the Big Lebowski with like, just give me a coffee can and put his ashes in the coffee can and they throw him off, they blow back in his face or whatever. So, yeah. I mean. Well, that's what we always tell people if they're going to scatter ashes, don't do it in a high wind yeah. and uh, or at least stand, stand downwind and um, or uh, I guess it would be upwind, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, upwind. And, downwind and, is. Yeah, By the way, folks, bad. illegally, legally legal to scatter ashes on the beach, um, illegal to scatter them on the golf course, illegal to scatter them anywhere except a cremains guardian garden, like at a church where they have like a special space for that or a rose garden where they have a special space for that. Do people do it? Of course, they do all the damn time. Yeah. But if you're going to scatter them on the on the golf course, please, please, please do it in the sand trap or in the rough. Don't do it on the 18th green because you don't want the next day someone calling the police because they just saw a fragment of a bone on the 18th tee. I'm reminded of that happened that says, uh, when I die, I want to have my remains scattered around Disney World, and I also do not want to be cremated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, that's... The the what is it? The haunted ride is the one that's always fun because they get the ashes scattered, and the next thing they have to do is bring in the decontamination teams. Yeah, is yeah. Is, is, is that true? Is there is there truth to that? Is I always thought that was just an urban legend. From what I understand, that would be relatively factual. Yes, you are correct. Wow, wow! Never now, I don't think it's they bring in the complete hazmat teams and all that sort of stuff. But yes, well, you wouldn't, has, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to bring hazmat because. It's not hazardous waste. Right. But it's, yeah, it's, it's inert, but you know, it's probably going to muck up the works and the circulating system and the water. And, Oh, that would be bad. I have yeah. heard stories of people having like dumping ashes into pirates of the Caribbean and stuff like that, like off the side of the boat, just dumping them in there. But again, I always just thought these were urban, these were urban legends, but now that I think about it, people are people and people do stupid yeah, shit. So yeah. Yeah. And- Anything you go to at, a, at, at an amusement park has more cameras per square foot than London does per square mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's cameras there's, all over inside a haunted mansion, everywhere. Yeah. 
So, all right, James, did you have anything else you want to take us where? Or, did, you know, because you seem to be the one so, directing all of this, and I just kind of jump on for the ride after you take us there. Who's directing? I'm just here to, you know, heckle. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, some of the fun stuff that's in the body class when you're going through that, you know, there's there's a lot of little fun <laughs> Fun stuff in a body class. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we start talking about what's some of the big mistakes that everybody makes about the process. Oh, my Lord. One of the first things that started me looking at teaching this class was I started reading this book. And the, the book opens with a funeral. And uh, they're digging the grave. Naomi, they're digging the grave with shovels. And they're lowering the coffin with ropes. And I'm thinking, did I somehow pick up a historical? Because, okay, well, let me read a little farther on. And they get in the Chevy truck and they drive back to town. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, again, as I mentioned, it's a casket, not a coffin. They do not use ropes to lower it into the ground. They do not dig the graves by hand anymore. That's done with a backhoe. Because, I, you know, and I laugh about this. I tease uh, Jim and, James and I have a friend, uh, Gail Martin, and she likes, she loves Supernatural. Loves, loves, loves Supernatural. Now, I do too, but I'm not quite the aficionado that she is. Uh, my big gripe with the, the, the boys on Supernatural is in multiple episodes, they're shown starting sometime around dusk, you know, maybe 9 p.m., digging down into a grave oh, to yeah. get to yeah. Casket, Many shows right? do that. Yeah. And then, like, um, magically, 20 minutes later, they're at the coffin. Yeah. Oh, people, not happening. It would be a casket, not a coffin. And the other thing, too, is there every state in the Union and all, I think, all the territories now, including Puerto Rico, have a two-container law. You have to have at least a cement grave liner and at least some kind of casket can be cloth-covered wood, it can be mahogany 710. But you have to have at least a cement grave liner, or you can have a vault. But you have to have two containers. Well, that's a health law. And it keeps, like, and it ha- does have to be more than six, six feet down. The reason it's six feet down is for frost heave, right? So the casket doesn't come rising out of the dirt. You really don't want that. Um, another one I saw that was really egregious was... Um, there's not a backhoe made that can dig a grave in Maine in February. So, and you really wouldn't want to be at a graveside service in Maine in February. So don't put that in a book. Um, I saw that. Um, <laughs> uh, there was, what was the other one? Um, there was another one that was really weird and stupid. Um, you only have to teach the class in the morning. So, you know, you probably ought to. Yeah, I know. I probably refresh my memory. Um, well, one of the other ones was that that um, they said that the uh, the hearse uh, was um, that that people would slide out of the back of the hearse. That was what that was. The other one was that the casket slid out of the back of the hearse, and I'm like, absolutely no way in hell. They have bumpers. They have a grate. They have the door locks. <laughs> They do everything they can to make sure that would never, ever happen. Um, so I, I saw that. Now, one weird funeral home story is that there was a funeral home in, I think it was Arkansas, 
where the driver was driving the body from uh, the funeral home to go to the train station so that the casket could be put on the train to transfer it to another city. That was the way they, no, it was the airport, I guess, going to the airport because they were going to take the casket and it was cargo and it was going to this other city so that nobody had to drive it all the way. And he got to feeling bad and he pulled over on the side of the road and he thought he'd just rest for a few minutes. Well, the airline called the funeral home and said, the airline in the other city called the funeral home and said, no casket. Where's the casket? You guys were sending us a casket. Mr. Jones was supposed to be here in Seattle on this flight. Was there an error? Was there a problem? Was there a change? You didn't let us know. We're not pleased. So the funeral home went, oh, shit. We'll get back to you. So it turns out Bob had pulled off on the side of the road not feeling well and died. He died in the hearse carrying the body to the airport. Correct. Correct. Now, thankfully, the body in the back in the casket was already embalmed, so that was fine, even though it was a very hot summer day. Bob, however, not so much. And uh, they ended up having to completely redo the upholstery in the front of the hearse. Um, But that was a a weird one. There have been some weird ones like that. How long did the body sit in the car before they found it? But even still, it's a hot Uh, summer day. Nine hours. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, so, really, really bad. <laughs> okay. This reminds me of a story that I'm going to tell since we're telling, and I forgot all about this. This doesn't involve a person dying, however. Um, sure, I'll tell one of my stories since we're telling these crazy stories about funeral homes and death and things like that. Um, I used to work for a bread company, and I used to deliver bread to various hospitals for their cafeterias, nursing homes, schools, things like that. Um, up in Flint, Michigan, there is a hospital up there called Hurley Hospital. Well, I would arrive there around 3 o'clock in the morning, and the door in the back was the one that I would go to. It was the main, um, it was like the main service area where they would get all their small shipments and stuff like that. So I would pull up, open the back of my truck, take the bread baskets, and then hit the button. The guards would buzz me in and so forth. And uh, there was one night where the guy pulls up with the hearse. He's like, hey, can you do me a favor and not park right where you're parking at? Because I'm here to pick up the bodies at night, and the loved ones, you know, they, they call, they would need to get the body. I'm like, okay, no problem, not a big deal. So me and this guy, would we would run into each other all all the time. And we just kind of got to know each other. I never actually caught his name. He never caught mine. He just, I just knew him as the body guy. He knew me as the bread guy. And we kind of had, you know, <laughs> you have these working relationships where you see people all the time. Hey, how you doing, Brad? How you doing? How's the kids? Blah, blah, blah. Small talk conversations. So there was one night where we went there and, uh, God, I can't believe I forgot this story till now. Um, and we were, I had gone and unloaded my bread and I was on the way out with my empty plastic bread baskets or with the bread sh- shells or where the heck they are. And, um, he had had a body sitting in on one of those the, the skiffs that they move them on, right? You know what I'm talking about with the wheels or whatever. The gurneys. The yeah, gurneys. The gurneys. The gurneys. He didn't have the wheels locked. We're going to get to that. So we come outside. <laughs> it was um, late spring. And uh, we were just shooting the shit outside the building like we always did, you know, but this time he had a body with him. So we were talking and he asked about something and we walked over to my truck and we were paying attention. He didn't have the wheels on the gurneys locked. So the body rolled down the ramp um like out into the middle of the parking lot um and we're talking and he looks back and the body was gone and we're like what the hell and he, he just assumed that somebody came out and got it or something like that when we were talking and um so it was like all right whatever you know so uh he's like this is and he's freaking out he's like where where'd the body go you know so he goes inside and he couldn't figure out what happened so we finally go to the security office 
Um, and I'm still unloading my bread racks and stuff. And he asked security guards, he's like, did anybody come by? Because the security office was right at the door there. They had to buzz me in. He's like, so what happened to the body? They're like, not sure. So they rewound the tape while we were talking. And in the background, it's one of those stuttered videos where it's like one second it shows something, another second it shows something, another second. It's not a continuous video. So as we're talking, you slowly see the cart start to roll. And then it rolls again, and then it rolls again, and then in like the fourth frame, there's no cart there with a body on it anymore. And we're just like blah, 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 talking away. So we go running outside, and of course the body's like in the middle of the doctor's parking lot because the doctor's park in the back. So the body had rolled down the loading ramp and out into the middle of the parking lot and just rolled into the middle of the parking lot and was there on the gurney. You know, the whole time he's running around freaking out trying to figure out where is this body at because I have to pick it up or so forth. So long story short, he got the body back to the car and loaded into the car and stuff. And it it was funny in hindsight, but it was just like he never actually locked the wheels on the gurney or he did and it didn't lock them all the way or something like that. And the body just rolled away. Like we're talking on the video. It was somebody like me that was like, oh, yeah, here's an opportunity. Yeah. So you (laughs) see in the videotape in the background, the body, the, the gurney just rolls away as we're talking. It was like it was like something from Benny Hill or something like that. You know, you're you're waiting for the Benny Hill music in the background, and the body's just rolling like another camera angle from from the actual dock facing down, where the body's just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling around right to the middle of the parking lot, and then it just stops. It could have been a lot worse. It could have flipped over. The body could have fell out of it. You know, which somebody in retrospect would have been far more. Driving into the parking lot. Yeah, somebody could have been driving through the body of the parking lot, and there's a body just sitting there on a gurney or on the ground or whatever. You know. And I completely forgot about that up until just now with you telling these stories. <laughs> All of the weirdest stuff that I ever saw working that job, I always saw in Flint, Michigan. And this was just before that they had announced it's the water. This. Yeah, they had, they had, this was, that was the hospital, actually, they, where they found that there was a problem with the water. But everything weird that I ever seen, I saw a guy, I've told this story many times on the show, a guy was painted completely cobalt blue with a Speedo on and swimming goggles. And that was it, like doing this weird jazzercise walk down the middle of the road at 3 o'clock in the morning when nobody was on the road. I'm at a stoplight, and this guy just goes by. Yeah, and there was another guy that um – um, there was another guy that was this crazy homeless guy that was just like just doing this weird like kabuki dance poetry stuff out behind the hospital one night. Just and he was like, perf- I gave him chicken wings because the the uh, the hospital would give me all of their food from the cafeteria at the end of the night. So I would always get these big giant trays of fried chicken wings and stuff. I probably have lead poisoning now from that hospital because of the water. But you couldn't make this stuff up. It got to a point where I would come home and just stop telling stories because of all the weird shit that I saw out there. But the body rolling away on the gurney, that was one of those things that was like, you know, every time we'd see that guy, you know, he, he, I'd be like, you got your wheels locked? It was the big joke thing. You got your wheels locked? Yeah, I got them locked. You know, so yeah, the, the body's just rolling Locking down loaded. the loading ramp out into the middle of a parking lot, you know, late spring, you know, beautiful night out, you know, moon shining yeah, and everything. Right. So that is that is my, my, my gallows humor story of a body on a gurney rolling away. Um, you know, and the guy had the hearse parked right, right there. He loaded into the hearse and stuff and yeah, that was uh, that was my story. I completely forgot all about that. I don't think I've ever told that story before. Actually, I think this is the first time I've ever told the story of the rolling body. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good one. <laughs> you can save that and use it down the road if you want to. <laughs> that's exactly. You, you know, I'm going yeah. to. Yeah, you know that's going to wind up in a book now. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Exactly. That'd be great. You can enhance it in some way, shape, or form. Like a car comes by and smashes it, the body goes flying through the air or whatever. I don't know. But uh, anyways, talk about, yeah. talk about a lawsuit, man. We are, you know, we are delighted. To and James is over there taking notes. I can see him in camera right now, writing shit down. <laughs> I Both can of you confirm or deny. 
I know we've talked before. There's some weird ass state laws around internment, and we've talked about a few of those. And I am trying to remember some of them. That that that's was trying to go back to notes and you know organization. Right now, that's you know. <laughs> What's some of the what's some of the strange ones that because I know we've talked about some of those before in terms well, of I mean the one that's most prevalent that's not necessarily all that strange is you either you have to bury cremate or embalm twenty four to forty eight hours. Some jurisdictions it's thirty six, some jurisdictions it's twenty four, some stretch it as far as forty eight. But you have to make that decision pretty quickly. Uh, again, that's a health regulation, um, and so the the Religious groups or, or social, you know, sort of uh, groups that people belong to where you don't want to uh, desecrate their consideration, desecrate the body with embalming, they have to uh, do that pretty fast. They have to make that decision pretty fast, which is why a lot of places um, uh, bury first and do the service late. So if you can't get everybody home in 24 hours, uh, a lot of times they'll go ahead and do the burial and then do a service later. But that's the one. I can, there are some weird ones, and I, but I can't call them to mind right now. One of the most interesting things that's happening right now, though, is um, there's a fascinating group called Recompose. And they're in uh, the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. And they have now gotten um, their all of their permitting and gone through the state legislature and everything to turn you from the deceased into mulch. Oh, there's all kinds of companies. We we used to do this show called It's Funner Being Dead Than Alive because of all the different things that you can have done with your remains. There are companies that will will plant you as a tree. They will make you into a record, a marble. Now, Um, now, that's that's cremains. They will make your cremains into a record. They will make your cremains into tattoo ink, and you can have your tattoo done with your loved one's cremain ink. Uh, they will make cremains jewelry. They will compress it into glass. They will do all that sort of thing. But Recompose is the only one I've seen so far that legally uh, is doing body disposal by a natural method that actually involves the body and not cremains. Is that the one they use water or something like that to dissolve you and then it's dumped into the sewer? No, no. They turn you in. They, they basically put you on a bed of wood chips and warm everything up until you decompose into the wood chips. And then the wood chips are aged for like a year or something like that. And then they become wood chips in the National Forest. Well, there's also the one where you can be used as a planter, where they basically use the body as the. Yeah, that's the one I brought uh, up. That's, yeah. that's, no, that's cremains. Is it cremains? Yep, it's cremains. There's also one called Biolites where <clears throat> the the. Acidic remains are very cremains are very acidic, so they use the cremains as the battery that powers a light that shoots up into the heavens. And they basically, there's a place in England where they have them lining the walks in traditional cemeteries where these bio urns light things up. So that's kind of cool. You can be shot into space. That's yes, that's Elysium. that's in my will. Yeah, but I think Elysium only part of you can. Because well, that, cremains again. Your cremains yeah. can be shot at. Because they did that with yeah. uh, Scotty from Star Trek, I believe. They put they shot part of him yeah. in space, and then I also think that um, Hunter and then S. Thompson back to the ground. Yes, you know, Hunter S. Thompson had a cannon made where they shot his remains. Um, I think Johnny Depp paid for it. Actually, there's this big statue that he has on his property, and they made this giant cannon. I don't know if it actually shot him into orbit or not, but he he's <laughs> he wanted to have his remains shot out of this giant cannon. 
So, um, recently, but again, I would imagine that that was Cremains, not Remains. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> that yes. was that would just be nasty. Yes. Yeah, because I, I get, was Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, because I get if, if it wasn't, yeah, but, I get this image but that of that wouldn't um, have been legal. This of like a cannon shooting and like somebody like 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 how it looks when a when a pumpkin is shot out of a cannon where it just sprays everywhere. Yeah, yeah that's probably what yeah. it was like. But uh, <laughs> recently, I was in Utah. You might know about this. There is a temple out there called the Temple of Samoon, where they, uh, Samoon, S-U-M-M-U-M, they have a pyramid on premises. They actually still practice mummification there. It's twenty. It's about $20,000 to $100,000 to get your remains processed and, and mummified. They actually do this for people there. You don't necessarily have to be a church member, I believe. If you're a church member, it's cheaper, and I think they actually have a storage site on facility. This small brass pyramid it's not small it's a decent size i mean it's not huge like over in egypt or whatever but there's these gates out in front of this place it's like in the middle of like an industrial park area next to the freeway and there's a <laughs> gate that says i'm dead serious you, you, you can google this s-u-m-m-u-m yeah and uh because you're, you're you're probably going to be very interested in this um so the cost to become mummified is $67,000, where the cost of a sarcophagus and burial casket runs $20,000 to $100,000, depending on how elaborate the person wants it to be. But these people will actually mummify you, and they will preserve you that way if you want to. So I didn't know if you were aware of this or not, or you might take interest in it. I've tried to get these people on the show, but they will not respond to any kind of interviews or anything like that. I really, I seriously want to interview them. I don't want to laugh at them. Or I'm, I'm very curious about you know, what the process of mummification is, who has this done and all these kinds of things. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just this interest, especially in Utah, like in the middle of Mormon land, yeah. there is this yeah. small little weird, well, I don't want to say weird because they don't, as, as far as, as alternate, uh, alternate, we'll call them alternative religious, religious organizations go. They don't seem to be that strange. Um, as far as, as, as strange religions go, they are actually listed as a winery. Then they do that because they have they when they have their meetings and stuff, they have this wine that they drink. I did go there. I may or may not have gone there. I did go there a couple of months ago, and the the gates weren't open. I didn't want to be rude and go knocking. Hey, hey, can we come in and get some wine and bug you and talk to you about your religion and stuff like that? But the gates were closed, <laughs> and uh, they also do dogs and cats too. You can have your dogs and cats mummified as well. That is so cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Though on their website, I was just looking at their website that um, they they also refer you to Batesville Caskets and Wilbert Vaults if you decide that this is not for you, but you need. You know, I wonder if they get a kickback. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This, this is our affiliate program. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Guys, if you're out there and you're listening or somebody sends this show to you, I legit really want to interview you and I will be very respectful about what you do. I, I, I have questions. And and Jeannie, I will probably call you to sit in for that interview if they if they agree to it. Because <laughs> I legitimately well, want to know, you know about it's this. It's interesting. You might reach them. They It says they're a member of both the Utah Funeral Directors Association and the National Funeral Directors Association. You might be able to get to them through the Utah Funeral Directors Association so that they know you're serious. Yeah, but it says right on their site that they no longer do interviews or anything like that. I, I don't know a way to get into them. You know, I've emailed them in the past, yeah. but they have gotten back. So so I go back to way back at your funeral home days as being a funeral home and director. What were some of the oddest requests that you had ever had when when doing this type of thing? Did you, Do you have a list of gambit or, or things that you could talk about for strange requests or whatever without breaching confidentiality? Well, I, I, most of the stories that I tell are from other funeral homes, not our funeral homes, so that they can never be traced back to the persons who who uh, 
involved. Excellent. Please there do was that. One case, <laughs> well, well, there was one case where, um, you know, in the Southern tradition, for long, for most of the early 20th century, um, funeral homes weren't used so much. Uh, really, embalming didn't start in earnest until after World War II. And the two-container law didn't come in until the late, mid to late 70s. And so some of this is still, it's considered good practice now, but it wasn't for much of our, you know, early history. Um, but you would have the funeral service at the house. So for the, you know, the people would come visiting and, you know, they would, uh, you know, much like you sit Shiva now, people would sit, come to the house and, you know, you'd, there would be Uncle George laid out in the parlor and um, there were still places, many places that, that still did that well into the, you know, 2000s. And um, there was an incident where the family wanted to bring Uncle Joe home and the funeral home said no. And they said, but why? But why? And they said, well, you live in a double wide trailer. <laughs> The, Nothing the, about this sounds weird. Now that once you bring in double wide trailer, it all makes sense. <laughs> the, the casket won't fit through the door, and that's just that. Period. End of discussion. But this well, is nothing that a chainsaw can't fix. That was not the end of the discussion. They were so adamant that this had to happen, so the funeral directors continued to say no. And they came back again, no, no, we have to do it. We have to do it. So they said, okay, here's the deal. We will pull up at the house. Everyone in the family will leave. We will get the casket set up in the living room of the double white trailer. And we will call you when you can come back. Oh, no. So. They took Uncle Joe out of the casket. They put Uncle Joe on a gurney and made sure everything was presentable and covered the gurney with a sheet so that when they were driving over there, nobody looking in the and they covered the closed the curtains on the back of the hearse. Um, and anybody who knows the funeral home I worked for will know that it wasn't there because we didn't have curtains on the back windows on the back of the hearse. So and they put the casket in the other side and they drove out to the double wide. Everybody left. They left the front door open. You know how you walk a couch into... Yeah, you turn it sideways and do what you got to do to get through the door. Yeah, so in this case, you open the lid of the casket and you walk that in and then you walk the back in. Yeah. And then they... The the thing that the casket sits on is called a beer, B-I-E-R. And they're... And nowadays, they're these extendable accordion kind of metal things that you then set the casket. And so they put a beer in the house... And they carried the casket up to the door and they walked it in and they set it on the beer. And then they brought the gurney to the door and brought the gurney in through the door and then put Uncle Joe back in the casket. And I don't remember now, I used to remember, but I don't remember now how much more they charged them for that. Because you got to remember, they got to repeat the process before the funeral. Yeah, they got to take it all back out and do it the same way all <laughs> over Joe's again. Uncle Joe's got to come back out of the house. And the funeral home was really, really worried about this because, of course, once the remains are in the funeral home's care, they are liable for what happens to Uncle Joe's remains. So, technically, all the time that Uncle Joe was in the double wide, they were still liable 
for anything that would happen to Uncle Joe's remains. Everything was fine. Nothing happened. Until. But, you know, as a, as a writer, as a writer, and this is one of the things, you know, you got to remember that I teach this class from the perspective of being a writer. And how can you screw things up so badly for your hero that something happens, right? So all I could think of every time I hear that story, every time I tell that story is, oh, just like the whole thing with the gurney on the rolling into the parking lot. There is so many ways that could go wrong. And if you're a writer and you need things to go wrong because you need to either extend the timeline or shorten the timeline of your story, wow, that's a great place to make it go wrong, right? So, <laughs> And just for just from my own personal viewpoint, I'm going to cut a hole in the side of the double wide and put in you know, a set of French doors because I can do that cheaper than all the rest of that machination having to happen. Yes. Yes, you probably could have. <laughs> The craziest story that I've ever been told, I had a friend who's been on the show. Um, I'm not going to say who they are. If they're listening, they're going to know who they are. They were an assistant funeral home director, possibly a director. I don't remember at the time now. And they will not wear underwear at this point because they were wearing a dress and they were taking care of the family and their underwear fell off of them while they were out dealing with the family and everything to take care of everything. So they had to do this like little Morticia scoot walk to get out of the room to get into the other side to be able to pull their underwear back up. Um, that was the story that they had told me. So I'm trying to like she was like, yeah, imagine me wearing a black dress and I'm sitting there talking to the family. You're dealing with the you know the family's crying and trying to put them at ease. You you've done this, you know, you know, because you, yes. that's why you took the the psycho the psychology class to know how to deal with people that are grieving and stuff like that. And she's like, so I'm sitting there talking to them and all of a sudden I feel my underwear fall off of me. And my panties go down and they hit my ankles. And she's like trying to keep a straight face and trying to like deal with it and hope that nobody sees you like scooting out of there as best as you can because you can't exactly just like take your foot off, you know, take your, lift your foot up and, and, and have panties on the ground around you. And they were, because they were telling they're like, yeah, I don't wear underwear very often. I'm like, why don't you wear underwear? And they're like, okay, here's the story. <laughs> and that was the story as to why they don't wear underwear because when they were at the funeral home directing it, wearing a That's dress. That's a hell of an excuse for. For, you know, an elastic failure. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I lost it. I, I, I could not stop cracking up. They're like, yeah, it kind of traumatized me to wearing underwear under a dress now. I don't wear underwear under a dress anymore because of that happening. I think I'm pretty much done telling stories for the night now. So <laughs> <laughs> dropping panties and rolling bodies, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, again, romance. Yeah. Um. These are things you can use in your stories, I'm sure. So go right ahead, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It was at that point that I felt my panties fall off. (laughs) So, well, we've been going for over an hour now, which I'm fine with going with more if you guys have got any more. James, do you want to throw anything more at this stuff right now? Because you've done a really great job of of ringmastering all of this thus far and steering us in the directions that we go into. I'm, I'm going to give my one personal story that, that kind of applies here just to make everybody feel better. But before I do that, you know, the cliffhanger. So cryogenics and cryogenic funerals. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, freeze dry them. Um, oh, the place that did that is not too far from me. I don't, I don't know if they still are or not anymore, but the place that started all that with the frozen head stuff, is that where you're going with this? Well, there's that, and so I actually had to do a couple of articles, and it's been a long time ago. I actually did some research and articles on the cryogenic process, both the ones that want to supposedly regenerate you, because I'm going to tell you right now, that ain't going to happen. 
Um, even if you got Walt Disney's head, he's not going to become the mouse again. Disney on uh, ice, ladies and gentlemen. Disney on <laughs> ice. Um, but no, actually what I find interesting now is some of the stuff instead of going the cremains route is the freeze dry them route. Um, so that they freeze dry them and basically vibrate it. Yeah, once you're freeze dried, they can basically power you. Um, which is a nice little interesting new process. Well, not new now, but I mean, it's one of those things that I had to do a couple of articles on, and it's been a number of years ago when they were working on that process. But that would have been after your funeral home days, I think. Yes, it would have been, but I would suspect that that would be easily something you could, if you excuse the word, as being much more economical and much more... um, uh, ecologically friendly because you're not using, you're not firing up a furnace for two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, freezing is a much more passive thing. Even if you're, well, I guess if you're doing it with chemicals though for cryogenesis, that might be more econo- ecologically harmful, but you could make but, a case. So the, the fun story for my mother's funeral um and, and because there was plenty of funeralizing that day, um, we were sitting at the graveside. Everything's all said and done. And my aunt goes over to my wife and says, roll up your sleeve. And she's like, what? Roll up your sleeve. Pops her with a shot. Then turns to me and says, it's your turn next. Well, wait a minute. Was- Nobody, no one's going to pull say, pull up my sleeve and just give me a shot. No, I'm like, what's, I'm going to be, what's in the needle? What's going on? Yeah, stop laughing. I see you. What's going on here? Tetanus shots. Okay. Because we were sitting there and during some last period when I'm almost being kind of cognizant and whatnot, we got into a conversation because glass, all the stuff in the shop and everything, I was like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, my tetanus shot's probably out of date. Well, all the different things that I do. And my aunt is a nurse. Or, you know, is now retired. But, you know, this conversation came up. So my mother was like, yeah, make him get a shot. So that's what my aunt did at graveside with my mother. <laughs> was I have fulfilled her last request. <laughs> was pop both of us with tetanus shots at the funeral. <laughs> kind of brings a meaning to want to do some shots at a funeral. <laughs> we did that, too. We, we might have done that, too. But <laughs> that's so funny. So yeah, uh, yeah. Last request, last requests are actually quite an interesting thing too. Is as I mentioned before, you don't own your remains, so you can put it in your will. You can you know write out everything you want to have happen, and the person who is your next of kin that gets your remains does not have to do any of the stuff you requested. Most people don't know that. Um. Now, if you put it in your will and you pay for it in advance and you set it all up, most of the time people will follow with your request because they don't want to pay twice. Um, but, you know, it, the, the other thing, too, is you can put it in your will and try to pay for it and whatever, but if it's against the law, you still can't do it. <laughs> what, was, what were some of the most interesting last requests you guys had to fulfill or wouldn't fulfill? Um, well, one of the ones that I heard about or that you heard about because again we can't talk about stuff from your funeral the one I the one I heard about that was fulfilled was that instead of a 21 gun salute um, they had a mariachi band that one was evidently quite an interesting funeral home because it was in a really staid Presbyterian cemetery Um, 
and the neighbors were not happy about the very loud, very long mariachi band. I would bring a taco truck to that, but go ahead. Yes, yeah, so totally. <laughs> um, they were, you know, like they had a, a there was one uh, funeral that I was involved with that they had wanted a trumpet fanfare. They had people who they loved the trumpets, so they hired, they had already set it up. You know, if I die before you do, these are the people I want to come and do this trumpet fanfare at, at my at my funeral. And so the widow said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. This is what he wants. We'll do it. And there went the trumpet fanfare, and it was loud, and it was long. Not as loud as the mariachi band, but long. Now, to backtrack a little bit, when you said the whole process of freeze-dried – my only experience with freeze-dried stuff is like the little ca- packets of camping food where you dump the hot water in there and it kind of like rehydrates it or the, the freeze-dried astronaut ice cream. So, w- w- I mean, th- 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 I-, I can't help but go to body in a bag. You know, you add water and you've got Uncle Mort back. I know that's not how it is, but... Vacuum seal it and let it go. So, so with the process of freeze-drying... I mean, you're still going to have bones and stuff like that. What? How does that work? I mean, all I'm seeing is a dehydrated husk of a person that looks like something from The Walking Dead because all the moisture has been removed from it or whatever. It doesn't. Does it turn into a power? I'm really sorry. I'm being dumb here, but I just the, the idea of freeze drying. Like, I'm not going to ask my wife to freeze dry me because I don't want to be turned into beef jerky. So, <laughs> from what from what I remember, you you become very fragile and. They basically run you through a crusher or a, power, or a vibrating type of thing. The reason I got into it was looking at the potential use of ultrasound waves to do the powdering. And the challenge was because there wasn't enough moisture left that you didn't have enough to fully vibrate. It's the same way like a microwave wouldn't work to do some of the so it's But it was using ultrasound waves and things like that to do the – instead of using physical vibrators, it was using – okay. Um, <laughs> Not that kind of vibrator, no. <laughs> uh, you know, using ultrasound waves and things like that to actually powder it. But because once it's desiccated and that dried out, I mean, most of the things that we've been talking about, you're getting the moisture out because moisture is what encourages decomp. But if you strip out, you know, 99% of the moisture, what's left is close to powder, you know, very dry and crumbly. And I think it's the the bone factor. Of course, you still have to run through a bit of a powderizer, but it was... They were using different technologies as um, tools to finish powderizing what was left. Okay. So since you brought up Vibrator and the way that our brains all work, there was this company that was making a dildo that you could put your loved one's remains into. I know that bo- – yeah, you're both, you're both nodding your heads. I'm seeing you on camera. You guys both know what I'm talking about. There was some kind of a sexual aid, since I've already said the word dildo, that you could take your loved one's remains and put them into this thing and <laughs> – you know, I know that it's. I, I know that it was something that thing. was sold, and I, I just the thought of having that be a thing is just a little like shudder worthy for me. Because I'm like, mm. it sounds like a bad joke, but it's for real. So yeah, uh, no, forget. It, I know a lot of. Yeah. I do glass work, and I know a lot of glass artists, some of whom make toys. Where are you going with this, um, James? <laughs> I, I might know somebody that has been requested to make this, not me, um, but I know somebody that might have been requested to do this kind of work. So yes, it can be done. A lot of people do the thing where they have someone's cremains swirled into like a glass vase mm-hmm. or like a crystal or things like that. 
I just I just have a hard time getting past the whole idea of that's a dead guy in there and that's mm, not necrophilia is not not a thing I want to like go there with so <laughs> there are so many cool things that I would like to have done with my ashes and to do all these things <laughs> that's not one of them I do not want to have my remains put into a sexual aid for my wife um but <laughs> Actually, realistically, they could be made into a sexual aid if you if you think about it. If you because they can already take the glass and blow it and do all these different things with it. Right. Probably mm-hmm. a poor choice of terminology and words to use in this instance. But um, <laughs> like, I want to do all of the things. I want to have. I want to have myself made into. You know, I want to. I want to have myself made into a record, which would be Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. I want to have like the glass blown Christmas ornament. Um, I, I want to that have. I can help you with. I, I want to have the three D printed urn of my head. Um, you know, I, I, there, I, I, if I'm because if, if I'm going to be dead, you know, I want to have as much fun with being dead as possible. It's like, how much? I mean, you get what three, four pounds of ashes from a person on average. Is that what it is? How many pounds of ashes? Uh, I'm also like, fat, so you have to take that into consideration. I'm I'm rather poorly well, and Rubenesque, big boned. It, it, I'm a fat it, ass. It's really it's really more like seven eight pounds and um ironically there some people just have denser bones and are heavier it actually doesn't have anything to do with the size you are in life yeah I'm big bone yeah i'm gonna be the guy that catches the cremate the cremulator on fire because there's so much body fat that's gonna burn more i'm, I'm gonna be that dude um you know, I'm, I'm going to look at the freaking bonfire coming out of this machine. You know, because I've got I've got the body fat to do it with. This is my self-deprecating humor. But anyways, so the way I look at it, the more ash that I leave behind, the better because that's more stuff that people could do with me. You know, now I certainly don't ever see my wife or any of my friends being like, "Yeah, dude, we should totally make him into a record," or you know, we should totally you know do all this stuff with him, make him into a fishing lure. I don't do any fishing, but you know, just. Like, what can you do with my ashes? You know, as how many different things can you do with my ashes is, is where I'm going with this. So, a lot. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be cool with all of it. You know, being shot into space, nah, because you don't go completely into space and you're going to come back down anyways. Now, if you're shooting me way out into space, that's cool. But part of me is going to be in space. Part of me is going to be on a record. Part of me is going to be in this Christmas ornament, you know. Um, <laughs> You are a multi-talented. Yeah, I, I could be side. everywhere. I could be all the places that I couldn't be in real life. Now my body can be all over the place. So the last thing I'm going to ask you about, you probably might not know about this. I have a friend who comes on the show all the time. It's it's my buddy Gary. He's been on here several times. We've had him on here for this particular topic, though I haven't talked to him about it lately. Have you ever had anybody? Are you familiar with the term of sin eaters? Do you know what those are? Yes. Okay. My buddy is a sin eater. Have you had anybody show up to a funeral requesting that service where they put the little piece of bread and the beer on the person and their their sins are supposed to be absorbed into it and this person shows up and eats the bread, drinks the beer, etc.? Have you had requests for things like that? We did not ever where I worked. I had I had heard about it happening, but we had not ever had it where I was. Okay. But I was in big cities, so Yeah. You know. It's it's kind of um it's kind of it's something that's of, uh, on the resurgence, so I didn't, you know. Is it really? It, yeah. yeah, I actually it, that's in um, book two. I actually use uh, senator in book two. Book two of what? Cool. Oh, home summonings. Yeah, and um, um, oh, what the hell's the current title? After it got retitled, um, but yeah, home summoning series. It's it's in the uh, winter trilogy. I hate getting old and senile. It didn't take long. <laughs> 
we're at the end of the show anyways because we've been going here for going on two hours now. It doesn't feel like it, but we have been. So this is a part of the show where anybody comes on the show, I always give them an opportunity to promote what they have out there, where people can find your blogs, your books, how to purchase your stuff. Um, it sounds like the stuff that you write, Jeannie, doesn't really go quite in hand with what you do, though. It's it's kind of weird because I was like, does she have any books on this kind of stuff? And and James was like, no, she just covers this stuff at her show. She hasn't written any books on this kind of stuff. Um, well, I do have I do have a book that I'm writing about it with. I mean, based on it, it's set in a funeral home, mm-hmm. but I, if, I'm not done with it yet. Okay. So where do people go to find your, your books on paranormal, et cetera, everything that you've got? You, do you have a blog, I'm assuming? You know, where, where do people go to buy your stuff? Well, obviously, you can find me at my website, which is genieadams.com. Uh, you can find me, unfortunately, way too often on Twitter, uh, at Jeannie Adams. Um, most of my books, although I was originally published with a New York publisher, I'm now indie published. And most of my books can be found, all of my books can be found either at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, iBooks, that sort of thing. Um, because I write in several genres, though, sometimes you have to look for me a little bit. Uh, the ones most closest to this topic are probably my thrillers and my suspense novels. Uh, so, um, And the paranormal romances are suspense also. So you kind of get some flavor of that body disposal business going on there because, you know, there's some bodies on the floor. I'm also assuming that you're part of James's continual thing that he has going. I am indeed. So you can find me on continual on many of the panels. So as usual, you can find me at jamespnevels.com. That'll link you to the fiction me at jim-mcdonald.net, um, authoressentials.net. I am going to be resuming teaching the business essentials workshops uh, here in December. I don't have dates for it yet, but that's coming. Um, you can find authoressentials.net, like I said. Uh, you can find us at continualconvention.com or coming out to the Continual uh, Convention Facebook group. Uh, We're in the process of building the Twitch and YouTube channels with all that fun stuff. The website is is under big drops in development right now. But um, and of course, we've had you on because we came on to talk about paranormal media, pull in. um, You know, we pulled in Michael Williams and we pulled in a couple other crews as well um, to talk paranormal media, which was fun a few weeks back. That just dropped, I don't know, a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. Back to that old agent senility. Um, and so <laughs> my next official release is um, I've got an updated version of the Krampus Clause dropping here on Thanksgiving, and it will be going to print. Last year it dropped as sort of an ebook, and there's an updated and slightly expanded edition coming out, um, which is a nice little Christmas horror story, which of course features the Krampus and my 10 year old girl, our female protagonist, getting to trash Santa's workshop. Um, I have a couple of new things coming out first quarter of next year. So my my latest one is actually a uh, is a Halloween one, and uh, it's called Trick or Treat at Canem Castle, and it's set in a castle on the Welsh marches. So that one's kind of fun. Not quite Krampus, but there's some there's some magical mischief going on there. Well, thank you both very much for coming on here and talking about this. Jeannie, it's been a blast talking to you. I was I had no idea going into this what I was going to ask you about because as I said, you're not you're not really your 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 conventions and stuff like that aren't really there's no videos of the stuff that you do out on YouTube or anything. I wish there were. I would love to see one of your panels, how you host and the questions you get asked and things like that. But um this has been a whole lot of fun coming on here, and I really appreciate both of you guys doing this. James, I appreciate you putting this together. It's always a fun time having you on here. So, uh, again, thank you very much for doing this, and thank you for being here. 
Absolutely. Of course. Big, big thank you to James and Jeannie for getting that show together and helping me out with it. We've been trying to pull that show off for a couple of years now, and it just always seems like there's dates with conventions and things happening, and then COVID hit. And even when we were recording this show tonight, she had just got done doing a virtual conference, and she's going to be doing another one, I believe, for Continual, for James's side company. Do go check that out, um, where she's going to be giving this exact class of how to, to dis- dispose of bodies. But um, anyways, moving on to next week's show. The Halloween show is already recorded. Chris Woodyard comes back to the show. She runs the Victorian Book of the Dead blog, and Mrs. Daffodil digresses. And those of you that have been listening to the show for a while know that i try to get her on here every halloween and if not halloween i try to have her on here for christmas she is a treasure trove of strange weird old history just uh macabre stuff um you know whatever it's her her blogs are fantastic i retweet them all the time i'm there probably a couple of times a week once a week at least you know just reading up the stuff that she's got my friend shelly comes back and co-hosts with me some of you may remember from shelly from being on here before with having to talk about anything ghost or dead body related um she does great on the show as well thank god because again having a hard time breathing that show is another long one that show is supposed to be about an hour and i think it goes into close to two hours hour and a half or something like that because you get the three of us together and we just go so uh as soon as i'm done with this i have to jump over and start editing that one the life of a podcaster yeah it can be fun (laughs) anyways i'm gonna let you guys go i'll talk to you again in a couple of days this is rojan peace out from detroit talk to you again soon
Yeah.